Welcome to Jawbone with Dr. J and Dr. J. I'm John Monza, Professor of Strategy at the Joint Advanced Warfighting School, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. John Michaelshek, Professor of Theory and History at JAWS. John, today we are talking about a subject that is near and dear to your heart. I'm almost hesitant because you're so excited about it, and uh, that is the story, the legend of General George Patton. The man, the myth, the legend. Two things I always wake up and think about. Rome and then Patton. <laughs> so the reason we're doing a special Patton podcast is, well, because you should read about Patton. But also, too, we are nearing the anniversary of his death on December 21st, 1945. And since we work at the most elite Joint Advanced Warfighter School... I think it's only right that we pay respects, discuss, talk about a little bit the life of a great joint warfighter, George Smith Patton. Yeah, it's great having you, John. You've published a few books on General Patton, but I think for most Americans, it's, it's all legend. And so much of it is about the film Patton yep. from the early 1970s. But, but maybe you can make us all a little smarter on, on the true oh, I General can. Patton. I can't. So I always start giving talks. I always get a few questions. One of them we'll, we'll save for the end. But what I'd like to do is talk about Patton the Man versus Patton the Myth. And the movie Patton by George C. Scott, awesome. Uh, that's another podcast we could have is what are the top military movies. Patton is always high up on the list despite certain folks, Shane Rutherford, would disagree. I think Patton is actually historically accurate, first of all, key with Napoleon being out there, which I heard is not accurate. But the character that George C. Scott plays, he plays it so well that 40 years later, when people think about Patton, they don't actually think about, you know, Patton. They think about George C. Scott. And one of the big takeaways, I think, from the movie uh, or the, the lasting effect, particularly that opening scene in front of the flag, and I've been asked this many times, well, how would Patton view the movie if he saw the movie what would he think of it and my answer was always like he'd love it because why because george c scott has a much lower and deeper voice <laughs> than one george Patton does and the way he carried his body language i think was actually pretty accurate uh, we don't have a lot of video or audio of Patton when he was alive but what we do know Patton six six feet tall six one lanky not not as big as george c scott but the one thing that Patton really was fixated on was his voice he had a much higher pitched squeaky voice which i could demonstrate for you giving his speech so when you see the opening of Patton, that big scene which really wins george c scott's academy award Patton would have loved it but the other takeaway too is i think there's more that Patton can teach us than I think people are led to believe. Because if you talk to a lot of historians, nerdy academic types like Craig Smith, and talk to some officers that have been in the military a few years, Manza, let me ask you, what do you think of Patton? When, you, when I say Patton, don't hold back, let it flow. What do you think of Patton? When I think of Patton, I think of this breed of officers uh, that came out of World War I into World War II, some are legends in the Marine Corps and, and in the Army, and great combat leaders. 
and the question I always have or the thought that comes to my mind is, would they survive in today's military or would we weed these folks out when they were lieutenants and captains because they would not be, uh, how can I say it, politically correct? Toxic. They would be toxic, indeed. But that what a loss to our country if we're not keeping folks like them around. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, it's like a, any sports team. You, you can't have a team full of altar boys. You need the crazy guy in the corner. You need the quiet guy. Then you need the vocal leader. And I get that question a lot, and I've given talks, is how do you think Patton would do in today's modern military? I think he would do just fine. Now, if you look at his history, the most infamously – the slapping incidents, that's not going to work now. Well, for our listeners, John, maybe talk about what was the slapping Just the incident. slapping incident. So in World War II, Patton, when he was in command of what is then Operation Husky, the, the invasion or liberation of Sicily, Patton visited hospitals where he slapped at least two soldiers for cowardice, what we would call really probably PTSD. I mean, he was removed from his position um, and actually would write later on, it probably served his career better. Had he not had that slapping incident, he would have been given the 5th Army Command, which he would have been then gone to Italy, where the terrain, the German defense would not have allowed the tanker Patton to emerge. But when he got put to the side, and for a while he did not know what his future would be, he was used as famously as a decoy commander for Normandy for Operation Overlord. But then when Normandy kicks off and the Third Army's activated, you know, you get to do these patent things. But when I wrote a book on patent in World War One, I, I looked at, started with that whole George C. Scott movie thing, but I t- started about where he, his World War One experience, which is not as well documented. Now, for the good news is, and I would recommend this for all future historical figures, is write a diary every day because it makes it easy for a historian. Patton kept a diary from almost the time he could write all the way to days within his death. Um, so it makes it – you always had an idea what he was talking about. And in World War One, you see all the things that is Patton's famous for, the cursing, attention to detail – the proper way to salute, the uniform, the bluster, the thin line between courage and stupidity. It was all there in World War One, just a little bit toned down because he was not quite a three- or four-star general, but a lieutenant colonel. But I do think Patton, had he been raised up in this world that we are in now, would have done just fine. Maybe rough around the edges, but that's okay. Well, and you see some rough around the edges, folks. Uh, I'm you know, looking James, at one right now. James Mattis uh, comes to mind as someone who was yep. pretty rough, uh, but exceptionally intelligent and well-read, knew his history, and was successful to fight uh, being being a little gruff. John, let me ask you a question, though. Oh, I'm excited. Sometimes I see parallels between Patton and Rommel as folks who – Earned their spurs during uh, World War One, and then were able, uh, by the time the Second World War came around, to have this vision of maneuver by armored forces. Do you see that parallel? Um, yeah, in the movie, actually, if you remember the movie, they kind of get into the Rommel. I read your book, Rommel. Well, Attacks was a book about World War yeah, One, and it's an awesome book too. If yeah. you have not read it, I think it's. I am not a Rommel 
glory boy, which some World War II historians are. And that's my other advice for those listening that want to write books on military figures, write about German generals. They sell a little better. I think their World War I experience, as I write in the book, was very important, um, not only because they saw combat, they got awards, and it allowed them to kind of show that they are a capable officer, which kept them in the Army during the interwar period and set them up for success in World War II where they were in high command. But where it also does, it's, I think, both Rommel and Patton learned while they were afraid they could conquer their fears and that they could lead by charging the front. And Patton, again, he was a, a tall guy for that era. The tanks, he could not quite fit in. They were kind of small, these French Renault tanks. So Patton was a cavalry officer. So what would a cavalry officer do in 1917 with a tank that he couldn't quite fit into? He'd ride on top of it. Part of the reason Patton did that, though, was to show this leadership out in front, which I think Patton did in World War II. Rommel always did. But it's also to show that they can be courageous, brave, bold. And in World War I, Patton gets in a lot of trouble with his superiors because he leads the attack and is a brigade commander. This was a tank brigade at the time. And this is, you know, pre-cell phone. He outran his communications. So when his subordinates needed help, you know, orders, Patton was nowhere to be seen. So his boss, which was a uh, a fairly unknown general nowadays, Samuel Rockenbach said, whatever you do, stay with your unit. And he did. He gets wounded pretty soon after that. But I think what World War One is in very influential for both Rommel, and if you've read infantry attacks, uh, there are some folks that think it was like fake because there's no way Rommel could have survived all that. But I think they saw war at its most basic level, and so that helps them then in the interwar as trainers. Where I think Patton, a lot of times we focus on all the bluster, the speeches, the aggression, but he was a phenomenal trainer. Tried to make the training as realistic as possible, and part of that was because he's seen it. So I do think there are aspects of Patton's career that we tend to ignore or downplay because they're not quite as colorful. But as regards to Patton, he was a great trainer. He was actually a very good writer. Um, in fact, a lot of the tank papers he wrote end up becoming U.S. armor doctrine. In fact, JFSC Fuller even wrote that Patton's ideas on tank warfare were pretty good. And we're still reading Fuller today. Uh, we, we should read Patton today more, but, you know, that's another podcast. So, John, in our last episode, we talked about Ukraine. If Patton were commanding forces in Ukraine, how do you think he would handle the 700-mile-long trench line that the Ukrainians face? Yeah, so we talked strategic breakthrough in Ukraine and how— there's some folks that will argue that the strategic breakthrough in modern warfare cannot happen. They said that, though, in 1915. They said that in the interwar period. Uh, they also see it in World War II. You're seeing it now. Now, this is where, too, I think we tend to view Patton as like some gambler. He's not going to just, like, it's easy to say, Patton said, give me all your tanks, and I'm going to go roll, and I'll meet you in Moscow. I think that's the easy answer. But... He and his staff were much more adequate than that. I do think he would advocate to continue the counteroffensive, and he would continue to do it in the winter. Relentless pressure 
Now this is where, too, I think Patton, if we talk about it, being in a U.S. command, in World War One and World War Two, he was very famous for his speeches to pump up his units. And in World War One, he said it was the goal of every tank officer was to die. And I don't know if that plays quite as well in 2023 as it did in, say, 1918. But I do think had Patton been around to this day, he would be advocating as much support as you can to give Ukraine, give them all the, the, the newest weapons, mass them, break through. And See you in Moscow. He'd be riding on some M1, M1 Abrams tank in the front of the Ukrainian formation. Yep. That's, that's how you lead on a tank. I would hope, but the tanks are bigger now, so you probably fit. So last question for you, John. Yep. There is uh, a conspiracy theory that has been out there since the end of World War II. And that conspiracy holds that Patton was assassinated at the end of, of World War II. Some even say by General Eisenhower. What is your thought on that conspiracy theory? It's all true. <laughs> no, so th- it's funny. Um, and there is a book called Killing Patton. Every talk I have given on Patton, I always get the same kind of questions mainly i get the question you ask is how would Patton do today's world is he too politically incorrect all that the other question that i always get and also i can tell when people are going to ask it because they're kind of like i don't know if i should ask this but they will ask us did eisenhower have any involvement in Patton's death and the answer is no so for those that don't know since this is his death anniversary episode Patton was fired from his command, 3rd U.S. Army, given a new army command that was not a uh, operational unit, was a like historical division. The also thing, his driver, who he had for the war, was sent home. He, his, the war had been won. He had served his time. And the theory goes that Eisenhower handpicked some driver then to cause a wreck that would get Patton killed. The evidence they bring up is that after the funeral, Eisenhower went up to the driver, shook his hand, and people were like, well, what could they be talking about? And that's where they get the theories like he said, like, I don't know, good job, mission done. But don't you think, John, probably likely at some point in that relationship between Eisenhower and Patton during World War II that there were probably occasions after Eisenhower met with Patton where he would mumble to his staff, (laughs) I want to kill that guy. Well, Maybe. So what people tend to forget, too, or not know, was not in the movie at all. They didn't touch on this. Eisenhower and Patton were best friends. They kind of grew up in the Army together, a little different. Patton married into a very, very wealthy family. Um, Eisenhower also did not go overseas for World War I. He was actually in a parallel position to Patton. But they were friends. In fact, it's Patton who writes in the 20s and 30s, that Eisenhower is going to be president one day, and his nickname for Dwight David Eisenhower was Destiny Eisenhower. So they were very close. And then as Eisenhower went through the ranks, Patton with him, and Eisenhower was became obvious by 43 that Eisenhower is the golden one. He's going to be the big hero. Patton actually was okay with that. And I think Patton, that's another question I get is, could Patton have been in Eisenhower's shoes or job? And absolutely not. He was sucked at it. Awful. But he was a great field commander, and they did begin to kind of 
their their friendship dissolved. So could that have happened, say, like after Verdun at the Battle of the Bulge, where Patton's and his staff kind of saved the day? It's possible. But what we know about the crash, when Patton was not paying attention, he wasn't driving, he was in the backseat, was not paying attention to incoming traffic. And what happened was he didn't have a seatbelt on. This is the 40s. The wreck happened. The driver was fine, had a cut. Patton takes the brunt of it and will be paralyzed. Now, the thing you don't know, and I, I didn't realize until working on the book, and I do, all historians want to be armchair psychologists. There's a lot of armchair psychology with Patton that he had dyslexia, um, all these other things, which, you know, maybe. I do think he did have, along with, you know, PTSD from World War One, but I do think he had traumatic brain injury. He went through many windshields in his life. He also was a avid polo player. I don't know how many times he got kicked by a horse, fell off a horse. These aren't like you hit your head on the turf concussions, like you see stars. These were like he was cold out, just knocked completely out. I think as the war went on, you kind of see some of these issues with the, with all the brain trauma. And I think Patton was older, was tired. He'd been deployed the entire war. And when he wasn't paying attention, that was it. And then he'll die later in the hospital, December 1st, 1945. Anywhere he's still buried, if you go to that part of the world, um, you should go check it out. So RIP George Pat, great field commander. And if you want to know more about Patton, email me, read my book. And the one thing we can all agree on, Dr. Mons and myself and George Patton and even Rob, our producer, is what should you always do every day, every night? Read your Clausewitz. Read Clausewitz.